Hi, welcome to Help with Hannah Jones. My name is Hannah Jones, and I have here with me Kellen Duffy. Hello, darling. I did say last week a couple of lies, a couple of little untruths to start us off with this podcast. I said, first of all, that it would be weekly. I don't know why I said that. That just felt like a thing that you say when you're talking in front of a microphone. I don't know when it's going to come out. If you like it and give us lots of attention. It could be more often. But, yeah, it'll be whenever we get around to it. <laughs> I also said that we would be having rotating guest hosts, and we absolutely will. But you guys loved Kellen so much, and Kellen also lives in my home, which makes it very convenient since this past week has been super busy. We're roommates with benefits. <laughs> The benefit is true love. Yeah, let's talk about some of the stuff that has caused our past week to be insanely busy. Well, Kellen got his car stolen, which has absolutely got to be a highlight, narratively low light, personally. It's crazy how when you leave your car open and there's a spare key in the glove <laughs> box, how some people will just start your car, drive away, end up at a target parking lot in aurora having used all of your purell leaving behind a musk i'll call it kellen's upset that his car smells nasty now and no one else can smell it but me it's like the wb frog of smells it Every only comes around <laughs> when i'm in the car everybody can smell it it's just that no one else is as emotionally affected by it as you are or maybe nobody can tell the difference between the smell of this car thief and me mm, good point you said that you left your car in the parking lot unlocked with a key in the glove box both of which are you know sentences that the cops sort of gaslit us into um, originally, we were under the impression that the car was locked. We both saw you get out of it and heard the beep. And we thought your spare key was not even in this state. Now, did the thief end up in a Target parking lot with a key to the car and no signs of forced entry? Absolutely. But we don't know how that happened. No, it's crazy. I'm telling you that one time I locked my key in my car and um, this gentleman at a park was helping me out so I didn't have to call a locksmith. And he had one of those baggies where you slip it in between the door and the door frame and then you pump it up full of air so that you got like an inch to work with and then you use a little coat hanger to unlock the door. And I think the thief could have done that. <laughs> Honey, I don't know if that thief stole your car. I think he may have performed an abortion <laughs> on your car. <laughs> Kellen got his car stolen. Our apartment complex does have 24-hour security, which is stupid. It's not like a main reason that we moved in here, but then we kind of contacted the apartment complex to say like, hey, that 24-hour security person seems seems like they might know what happened to the car, or at the very least, have a good story about what they were doing when the car got stolen. I like called, emailed, and then after getting no response, I left a Google review within 10 minutes of the Google review. They had an answer for us. Now, to be clear, they did not call or email me back. They responded to the Google review. I don't want to get in trouble for libeling this apartment building. Um, but if you DM me on Instagram, I will sure as hell tell you what the name is. 
is a trash, trash apartment building. We also found out that our friend who lives in this complex had his car stolen last year and had his car broken into that very night where Kellen's car got stolen. And if you DM us, we'll give you his personal information. (laughs) 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 Okay, beautiful. Kellen, do you have anything to plug this week? Um... (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) I am finishing up some spots around Denver this week. I think this podcast will probably come out on Monday, which means that the following day I will be on a plane to New York City. Um, In New York, I'm going to be doing lots of different spots. I have a list of shows available on my website and in the link on my link tree, so you can find it that way. But if you're ever concerned, like you live in a place and I might come to that place and you want to see me perform, please sign up for my text list. It is the number one best thing you can do if you have any interest in like supporting my career. Um, But I'm going to be in New York from January 31st to February 4th. And then February 11th, I'm going to be in Des Moines, Iowa. The ticket link is not live yet, but just go ahead because that's the Saturday before Valentine's Day. So I feel like a lot of people might be making plans ahead of time. Plan that you're going to be at Teehee's Comedy Club. I'm going to be headlining two shows for their Galentine's Day night. And <laughs> it's going to be so fun. So you can find all of those links in the link tree on my Instagram or at hannahjonescool.com. Thank you so much. Goodbye, everyone. This is a fantastic podcast. So long. <laughs> <coughs> you can't stop me. I'm following my dreams. You can't stop me. I'm following my dreams. You can't stop me. I'm following my dreams. No, you can't stop me because I'm following my dreams. <laughs> This is first and foremost an advice podcast. So we asked you guys to ask us questions through a Google form you can find on my Instagram. And uh, we are going to hit you with some wisdom and some answers. Last week was about relationships. This time we've got a whole spread of topics. Do you want to get into it? Love a good spread. (laughs) All righty. First one. Would love to know your technique slash habits for comedy writing. Oh, well, the first thing I do is I listen to someone else's joke and then write it in different words. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Kellen's writing process is that he gets super, super high and we have a conversation. And then halfway through that conversation, he's like, oh, wait, I better write that down. <laughs> <laughs> That's not always true. Sometimes I'm just delirious from uh, going to bed after 1130. Um, get that sleepover energy. The first time that we ever got super rip-roaring high together, Kellen wrote down a fantastic joke idea. Hasn't become a full bit quite yet, but <laughs> it is two words and quite possibly the most genius I've ever heard from you. Pube serum. <laughs> Gives you long, lustrous pubes just like a lash serum might. Now, I'm not saying that anyone on this podcast uses a nightly lash serum i do but i was given the idea and i'll tell you the brand if they sponsor me so kellen gets really rip roaring high (laughs) and then i my process is i sort of sit down and i put my phone in front of me and i imagine hundreds of thousands of millions of people looking at me and clapping for me and i think to myself men 
are, and then I just finish the sentence. Works every time. It's true. <laughs> no, uh, I actually, my process is really not getting rip-roaring high. I just have conversations with friends, and then if I say something that's funny, I'm like, ah. And then usually that doesn't work live, and then I make the joke about how it doesn't work, which sometimes works. The and third draft usually incorporates anal sex, if we're being honest. <laughs> <laughs> It might start as a hot political take that's speaking truth to power, but it all all roads uh, go right up the pooper. <laughs> um, beautiful. Okay, next question. Good luck in your comedy writing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Were you always this funny? How did you achieve this self-confidence? I'm trying to be self-confident this year. Ha ha. Uh-huh. And second, have you ever had a stage fright? <laughs> I like that. It's like, ooh, I got a fright on the stage. Um, Have you ever had stage fright? If so, how did you manage it? I cannot imagine myself talking to so many people. I am nervous in usual conversations at work with people I see every day. Well, I'll go ahead and say, yeah, I've always been this funny. No, Um, it's interesting because I relate to you that I am also nervous in usual conversations at work with people that I see every day. Corporate conversations, one of the most nerve wracking things in my life. Um, Even talking to like comedians in green rooms, pretty big trigger for anxiety for me. Performing comedy, not as much. I think it's a lot more like a sport because you just practice and practice until it becomes muscle memory and you know what you're gonna say and if you do all the things right then usually they laugh is a terrible answer an interesting take yeah i i think it's different depending on where you where you're coming from uh growing up in a neighborhood with all the most athletic kids being kind of a chubby fella i had to lean on a sense of humor to keep from uh you know having all of my underwear destroyed by being pulled over my head (laughs) and um, (laughs) so i have always been funny and it is an absolute fight or flight response i will paraphrase jerry seinfeld where he says that the conversation that you're having on stage as a comedian to your audience that's his preferred style of communication. He doesn't like getting off stage when you have the person-to-person conversation. He likes being the one with the microphone who doesn't necessarily have to address anything that the crowd says to him. That is funny because it's like there are a lot of reasons why for an anxious person it's actually easier than having a normal conversation. In terms of self-confidence in general, I think there's a critical period for insecurity that is formed. And it's like, let's say, 10 years old to 14 years old. And during that critical period, I was concerned with being extremely smart and extremely hot. And I failed at both. And funny was the thing that I was like constantly told and it felt like an insult. And so it never even occurred to me to be like worried that I'm not funny enough during that period where we decide what things we're going to be insecure about for the rest of our lives. So now, like, if you don't think I'm funny, unfortunately, I just don't question that for a second because it's like, of course I'm funny. I was told that as a fucking insult for 10 years of my life. (laughs) That's the thing I have. 
But I don't know what I would do if that was ever a thing that I was naturally insecure about. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, if you're trying to be more self-confident this year, confidence for me has come from competence. I put an insane amount of hours into this very specific skill uh, for, I think, coming up on six years, basically. And after six years, you just you can't avoid having a certain level of competence at that thing. You're going to be better than most people who have tried it because most people quit after a few years because it's not very fun and it's very difficult. But if you know what you're naturally good at and you lean into what you're naturally good at, the confidence should just come naturally over time. If your confidence journey is being sabotaged by some self-hatred, that is ultimately something that you have to talk out with a professional. But if it's just a normal lack of confidence, I would say just lean into what makes you special. That is kind of an interesting thing with our relationship is that Hannah has been doing comedy, you know, five times longer than I have. So I don't necessarily have the confidence on stage built up that she has. She has more tools available to her to get herself out of sticky situations like if it's a disruptive crowd or if the jokes aren't landing this that and the other i have had a tendency here and there to turn a little adversarial with the crowd because i see the crowd as my parents and i just want them to love me and when they don't i have to become an angsty teenager and that is something you got to work out with a therapist, ultimately. <laughs> yes, the therapist called open mics. But also, um, it is interesting because I was like, I don't know what I would do if I wasn't self-confident in something. And it's like, oh, I, I absolutely do because there are things that I am not self-confident in that I'm deeply insecure about, such as um, the social side of comedy and like talking to comics in green rooms. The things that I do to try to help with that confidence is remember that like um, it, it's not my job to be good at it, to be perfectly charismatic and say all the right things. It's my job to come in open and warm and kind. And I try to meditate in the car for like five or so minutes anytime I arrive at a certain place and, um, you know, visualize all the times that I've done well at that thing and, um, and remind myself that it's okay no matter what happens, but I'm a perfectly competent human being who deserves good things in her life. And I feel like you could very easily transfer that skill to if you were uh, insecure about anything. Sure, yeah. You Unless know. you were insecure about meditating in your car. <laughs> then you're fucked. Is that what you do? Meditate in, in my car? Instead of socializing sometimes? Not instead of, just before socializing. Oh, I see. As a little lead up. Make sure I'm in the right headspace. Yes, well, socializing can be hard for many people. And uh, with that in mind, I would like to give a shout out to the, the Table Boys. That's that's uh, Jeremy C., Adam G., Jake to P., uh, Devesh, Josh C. Oh, boy, we got a million guys over here. I love them all. How would you recommend getting adequate sleep with an unpredictable work schedule? Heroin. Um, I got to tell you, uh, I've had some pretty grueling work schedule, like when you combine working at a coffee shop with comedy and then your midday job just keeps you up all hours. Uh, physically exhaust your body in some way if you can. 
with some exercise, some movement. A lot of times if your mind is super tired but your body's not, it keeps you up and it feels like, I don't know if you've ever taken um, oxycodone and then stayed awake, but that has happened to me and it's like a waking nightmare. It's like you're living in a sleep paralysis state. Is awful. So definitely, definitely try to exhaust your body to the same level that you're exhausting your brain and eat enough. I always got insomnia whenever I had an eating disorder. And I think a lot more people are not eating enough than than people realize. So I'd say move your body a little bit more and eat a little bit more. And I guarantee you that your sleep probably gets a little better. I mean, that seems all well and good, but, you know. I have an easier solution. Get a live-in girlfriend. Then she'll decide your sleep schedule for you. And uh, all of a sudden, your life will be turned around. You won't be up late at night, traumatizing yourself. Thanks, honey. How to find the funny when dealing with loss and use that funny as a form of acceptance. My grandfather died. uh, And this was... Four months after I started comedy, so I was rife for, is rife the word? Or ripe for uh, coming up with material that I thought would be edgy and revolutionary to the open mic scene. Anywho, I wrote like a five minute eulogy for my grandfather, um, (coughs) dealing with the fact that he was not a warm man. A loving man. And it was interesting because, you know, some of the jokes worked, but it never actually ended up being a regular part of my act. But as a writing exercise, I did discover uh, a lot of things that I didn't necessarily realize about my grandfather. I never heard him say my name. You never heard your grandfather say your name? Nope. What did he call you? Little shit. (laughs) (laughs) So we have that in common. That's also where I learned the word twat. There is something funny to that now in retrospect. But growing up with one of your major male influences in your family or whatever, uh, being such a cold, rejecting person, it it certainly puts puts a lot of things in your mind like, oh, I'm not enough. Certainly. So I don't know cathartic i think that's beautiful what about you honey how do you find the funny when dealing with loss and use that funny as a form of acceptance it's tough because i never lose all i do is win 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 oh boy next question i've applied to like a hundred jobs on indeed but only get shitty interviews where should i job search well my Funny friend, you have found yourself right smack dab in the middle of a bow, 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 recession. recession. <laughs> uh, it's the truth. I, I, I feel really bad when people don't know this and they're like, groceries are really expensive. It feels like no one can afford rent uh, and jobs are nowhere to be found. It's like, yeah, most of the jobs that are posted on Indeed are either multi-level marketing scams, other forms of pyramid schemes, other forms of marketing scams. All perfectly valid careers. Or they are uh, companies that are legally um, have to pretend that they are uh, 
trying to expand and trying to hire due to the fact that they've defrauded the government and accepted grants or loans, um, a lot of them COVID time grants and loans, um, based on the fact that they were trying to hire people. So a lot of the job listings are fake. A lot of the interviews are fake. There's, um, there's just not, I mean, that's what everyone has experienced right now. Kellen, you're looking for a job, right? Yes, I am. Please help. <laughs> I have been hired as a podcasting producer, but it's not paid. It's paid in love. Ooh, sexy love. Nope, I'm a virgin. Not until you put a ring on it, Buster. I'll put a ring in it. Ultimately, question, where should I job search? All of that w that I just ranted on was to say that you should forgive yourself if you're feeling any like shame or stress or anything like that. It genuinely is as hard as it feels, and it's not just you. Where should you job search? I think now's a great time to really try to... I'm going to sound like your fucking grandpa, but if you can meet people and get hired on a more personal level, any job that you apply for, especially a good job, is getting too high hundred applicants and if you don't have the most impressive resume in the bunch which I never have then your charisma and your connections are going to be the main thing to invest in so make sure that all your friends know you're looking for a job and um, really try to ask them about what they do and how they got their jobs I think that's the best advice I can give you look for a job on social media if that makes sense not in social media God, There's no. a bubble bursting, folks. <laughs> well, that's tech mostly, weirdly enough. It is. It seems to be coming back to like 10 years ago when I was looking for jobs, maybe 15 years ago. My uh, grandfather would always say, hit the bricks, you little twat. <laughs> and that <laughs> was kind of how you got a job. You would take your resume and print, out a, print it out and keep it in a little peachy and go from Walgreens to Bartels to Rite Aid to see if anyone would hire you. And then it changed to the internet. Yeah. Which was strange and impersonal. And the only way I have ever gotten a job on the internet is through nepotism. <sighs> and uh, now it seems like uh, meeting face-to-face -face and actually walking into a place surprises people to the point where they're like, you know, this person actually came here. I was actually just at a job interview the other day and the guy was like, yeah, we like we have hired people that just like don't show up. Yeah. Or we have scheduled interviews and the people just ghost us. Because the experience of looking for a job now is you get so many shitty options, so many shitty, terrible job on, uh, offers that you just want to say yes to multiple offers and then and then just pick the best one. I mean, like, no one can afford to be unemployed for an extended period of time. When you lose your job, you have, like, two weeks, essentially, to get fucking employed again. So it makes perfect sense why that's happening to them. We are coming up on week three of my unemployment, folks. Pray for me. Yeah. Okay, next question, pretty deep as well. How would you tell your mom in the nicest way that she needs therapy? <laughs> She's got mommy and daddy issues. <laughs> she is currently engaged to someone she met in September. It's now January and wants to buy a house with them across the state, hours away from her family. This is not the first quick engagement. She's been divorced twice also. Just curious on your thoughts, LOL. I love LOL this LOL indeed. 
It's so complicated because um, you're like very clearly judging her choices. And they do seem at face value like um, bad choices. But in general, one thing that I've learned in life is especially if people are making bad romantic choices if you're the one who's like, nah, I don't know if that's a good idea, you are just going to end up cut from their life. So I would recommend approaching it with like, hey, I'm so happy that you found this great new love in your life and you're going to buy a house that's so exciting. But I'm also really concerned that it's hours away from your family and, you know, you've jumped into this pretty fast, which is okay. It's not for me to say whether it's real or not real. But you have jumped into it pretty fast in that. And that's why I have some pretty reasonable trepidations there. I just want to be sure that in this new exciting phase of your life where you have so much going for you, that you also um, respect my boundaries as your child. And that's where you potentially ask your mom to go to therapy. I I would try to get really specific there. You know, if your problem is that like your mom punches you in the face every time you see her, you're just like, Hey, I really need the punching to end cold Turkey or else I'm not going to be able to see you anymore. And, um, and so next time you punch me, I am going to have to immediately leave the premises and not not see you again so uh just know that always do a little sandwich right i love you at the beginning i'm happy for you i love you i'm happy for you at the end in the middle get your fucking life together idiot and and be careful about diagnosing her with like mommy and daddy issues because um let's say you're probably an adult that means she's probably um old and old people uh, their their parents were just fucking wild. They grew up in the Great Depression. So, you know, d- don't think you're going to get too far with her reframing her in- entire childhood through a lens of trauma-informed care. Just focus on the specifics and the basics and what you need from her. What do you think, Kellen? I think in my experience as being the only child, uh typically put in the middle of my parents problems and that led me in late or I guess early adulthood to kind of be a little too concerned with the lifestyle my parents were leading choices they were making places they were going things they were doing I think my actual problem was that I wasn't where I wanted to be I wasn't doing what I needed to be doing and I was looking to nitpick people who are basically past the point of being able to change like it sucks you think that you can like you think that once you've had so many epiphanies in your 20s and stuff like that that you can like be the johnny Appleseed of healing and like go around to everyone you know and be like oh my god i just learned that you're fucked up and you need to change like it's like your mom might move far away and that might be good for you. If you don't like making the two, three hour drive, whatever it is, that means you don't have to see the choices that your mom's making. Yeah. You can still call her. You can still talk to her and, and do the things that are good for you and her and everything else sorts itself out. The tighter you grip the steering wheel on someone else's problems, 
the more of a thrashing you're going to receive when you veer off the shoulder. That has happened to me time and time again in my life. Yeah, I will say that like your question betrays a slight lack of boundaries, which is so normal with a parental figure, especially a parental figure who sounds a little bit emotionally immature, which I'm getting from her like quick engagements and stuff. But you have to remember that there will be many people in your life who will live good, meaningful lives that don't fall into your definition of a good, meaningful life for you. And you have to learn how to let them do that. And just protect your relationship with your mother. So you have to ask her for whatever you require to love her and have a healthy relationship with her. That's boundaries. That's asking her to go to therapy. But you also have to lower your expectations for what happens when she goes to therapy. So you also have to remember that a therapist's literal job is just to affirm and validate your mom. They usually don't hold your mom accountable and like super improve your mom. They might improve her communication skills. But for the most part, she's not going to become just like a, uh, very quickly a better and more considerate person through therapy. She's mostly just going to get affirmation and validation. I feel like the problems that are actually worth being diligent and trying to solve for a parent is if they're being abused or it's like an emergency situation. But if it's just something that's kind of like weird and inconvenient and sort of like impulsive or it seems kind of immature, that's your mom. Recommended reading material, the handbook for adult children of emotionally immature parents. Hannah got me this book and its introduction made me cry. I'm going to have to cut that because your parents could listen to this podcast and feel that I'm trying to insult them. Absolutely no way my parents are going to be listening to a podcast. They don't know how to work Spotify, Netflix, HBO. They listen to FM radio. And that's it. Also, what if my parents are fully aware. They've been to therapy. What if your therapy. brother <laughs> sends it to them? <laughs> my brother probably won't listen to the podcast either. Okay. Next question. He's out there on the... Listen, ladies, if we got any single ladies in Washington State listening, I got one heck of a brother who just got a divorce. And... <laughs> <if> <laughs> DM you his personal information. He's been in the gym. He's getting cut. He's a single father with custody of the kid. Listen, we got a prime rib steak over here. Just fell off the back of a semi truck. Okay. USDA <laughs> choice. And the D does not stand for district, folks. Not a lot of gravel on it. It is fresh. Yeah, call his brother. Great dude. I haven't met him yet. I'm very excited to. But if he's anything like this guy over here. You can't do that to him. His nipples are pierced. So not that much like. (laughs) They're not pierced because he wanted to become a cop. But then he didn't get the job and now he's not. So those nipples are fair game, ladies. So he's single, not a cop. Has nipples. <laughs> all righty. Next question. That's his big three for all you astrology folks. What are some healthy ways to avoid resentment? And is too much resentment ultimately a death sentence for the relationship? Yes, too much resentment I think is like the most death sentence for a relationship ever. Um, 
I think at the end of the day, any problem that you're having, you can either communicate with the person and try to work through it, or you can get over it. And if you choose not to communicate it to them, it's fully on your shoulders to move past it. A hundred percent on your shoulders. You can't expect them to change. If you do communicate it to them, you can't expect to get your way. You got to expect to compromise. Okay. That means neither of you are going to get exactly what you want. That's the beauty of love and connection in this here human life. I have experienced resentment in it, all its forms, mainly in the context of like, male male roommate situations through the pandemic when i started living with a friend of mine who had just a lot of bad roommate habits not cleaning up after himself using the communal spaces like a bedroom you talking about the main roommate yes that i know no okay i don't know who you're talking about Okay, I thought I'm you were <laughs> I thought you were talking about the friend with which you lived for a long time and you shat your pants and then put your poopy underwear Listen, in the bottom of you guys's outdoor <laughs> trash can and then left it there until it petrified against the bottom of it. Folks. And I, I was like, if you are talking about that guy, I think you had some bad roommate habits yeah, as well. Thank you, honey. Folks, in 2014, Chipotle was a much different <laughs> restaurant than it is now. Okay? I also did not shit my pants. I don't sleep in my pants. I shit my bed. And I cleaned it up with the one cleaning supply that we had in the house, Windex. This podcast is brought to you by Windex. <laughs> Good if for cleaning shit out of a bed. Sort of. The point that I'm trying to make is that I feel like I almost did a social experiment with myself where I'm like... Okay, I hate confrontation, and I really need this roommate to change a lot of the things that he does. So, without confronting him, I stewed on it for about eight months. <laughs> and let me tell you, that resentment becomes quite a beast. It propelled me to move out of Washington State to Denver, Colorado, where I currently reside. And I have not spoken to that man <laughs> Since it was somebody I knew for over a decade. Well, but you got to clean your dishes. You got to take your dog for a walk. You cannot sleep on the couch in the living room every night when you have a perfectly good bedroom. You shouldn't sleep in your bedroom with the lights on. That's crazy. So healthy ways to avoid resentment, right? Somebody in your life has a behavior that's unacceptable to you. You decide, can I become the kind of person who accepts this in my life or not? If the answer is yes, it's your responsibility to actually accept it in your life and not lie to yourself. If the answer is no, then you have two choices. You either speak up about it or you slowly remove them from your life, right? If you speak up about it, then it's finally in their court and they can either shape up and have a place in your life or not. But at the end of the day, you just got to know whether or not the burden is in your court or in their court. And I think a lot of times resentment happens when the burden is actually in your court, but you think it's in their court because it seems like their problem to you. It's their behavior. 
Um, so just get real clear about who needs to be accountable in this situation. Is it you or is it them? And then come up with solu- with a solution accordingly. And don't put your dirty underwear in the outdoor trash can and leave it there because it will solidify the against the was bottom of the trash can. The underwear was not dirty, honey. It was filled with shit. <laughs> okay, next question. Hi, I want to be better at hosting game nights with my friends. I love board games, and sometimes I feel if people aren't enjoying this thing I really love in a genuine way, I get bummed or, even worse, coarse with them. What can I do to be a better host slash friend? I would say that there are amazing things happening in the online gaming world. (laughs) Yeah. PlayStation Network, Xbox Live... PC games, it's quite an experience, folks. You don't have to make any hors d'oeuvres. Yeah. You get called various slurs by 12-year-olds every day. Yeah, it does sound like, I, I think there are two people in the world, people who love board games and people who love socializing with a group of friends and find that easier over a board game. You love board games and most people play board games just to kind of like break the ice or provide an activity if you genuinely love like games you should find other people who love games and have like a D game with them or have like your online gaming community but the average board game night you're probably going to want to choose different easier board games for your friends who are just there to have fun the simpler the better i mean the parker brothers have never steered anybody wrong there's a reason that monopoly is in every department store it's quite simple yeah. Some of these bigger, crazier, specialized games that you can only get at the store that used to be the candle store that used to be the famous footwear that used to be the Sam Goody. Alrighty, last question of the podcast. <laughs> um, and yet again, it's something that you've experienced and I have not experienced. Let's oh, get good. into it. How long am I able to be upset about being cheated on and manipulated by an ex before it becomes a me problem instead of a them problem? It's been a year since it happened, and if I focus on what happened for too long, I can become genuinely agitated and upset. I worry because I have found a new, better partner this time, and I don't want them to see me like this. Um, that's interesting. I don't know that I've necessarily ever worried about a partner seeing me in any particular state of mind because I'm the style of person who tells my deepest, darkest troubles on the first date in order to make sure that this person is not going to leave me. Yeah, we both kind of sit on the side of like oversharing and like we both like cried in front of each other relatively early for a normal relationship. That's a good thing to be compatible on because I can definitely picture us both scaring off other people who weren't down with that level of emotional openness that early. And I think that I've been in relationships that were quite bad for me to be in that even six years later 10 years later however long it's been like they still make me upset 
it upsets me that I let somebody <coughs> kind of trounce all over me like that. Um, but that's just kind of something that allows me to get the perspective that I have now where it's like, wow, look at how much my life has changed. I don't know if it like if any of that bad stuff didn't happen, I might still be locked in like a cycle of uh, what do you call it? Abuse. Yes. <laughs> I will say, like, I think that you can be upset in front of someone without it necessarily seeming really scary. Um, it's all about, like, how you frame it. So a good thing is, like, I'm so sorry. I'm feeling a lot of emotions right now about the past relationship that I had. This just really was is really bad and still affects me. Um, it's not personal. and It's not related to you. I just need a second and also remember that like feelings the this is something i've been hearing on the internet a lot like feelings are feelings not the story about the feelings and the actual feeling in your body if you focus in on it only lasts 90 seconds i don't know where people got this 90 seconds from but i will tell you i find that it works if you try to really stop um thinking about the narrative of everything if if you're getting upset in the moment and you just feel where in your body you feel upset and lean into the physical experience of it it will pass and then once that physical experience passes you have a greater sense of control over what's going on in your brain in that moment so yeah if the person that you're with is truly a good partner I think they'd be fairly understanding that you had a really negative experience in a relationship in the past and that might still come up for you and you might feel upset there's also something to be said about being able to uh, notice when it happens and diagnose what it is that reminded you of those feelings or those events so that you can prepare yourself for it to happen again in the future and be better prepared. The One of the things that helped me the most when I was uh, having like a very traumatic breakup was that, it, it, you know, it was like a year later and I was still pretty upset about it. And one of my buddies was like, when this stuff happened to you, you were the guy that it had never happened to before. Now it's happened to you, and if it's going to happen again, you're going to see that coming ahead of time. You know all the signs because you had to slog through the mm. the exp every step of the experience. You know what that feels like, so it's probably not going to happen again, and if it does, you're probably going to see it coming around the bend. You're, you're, just, you're not the same person that you were. Yeah. In th in that regard. Yeah. I would say that also with cheating specifically, like you said, cheated on a manipulated and manipulated might be the greater offense in this particular scenario. But for cheating specifically, we have a um, huge like social complex around cheating and it makes us feel a lot of like disproportionate 
feelings about ourself and our own like lack of worth or like I, th- I think we like look for ways to blame ourselves for cheating or anything potentially reading about infidelity and the causes of infidelity and realizing that it just has so little to do with you and it really only has anything to do with them could be helpful because usually if you're feeling a lot more emotions than you should about a thing it's because it's not really about the thing And so the deeper you can dive into what actually are the parameters of the thing and maybe what are other sources for these huge emotions, like am I questioning my worth and my identity and my desirability, that could be helpful. In other regards, you know, sometimes it is something that you don't have that they're looking for, but sometimes that thing is something that you don't want. Like Like I got cheated on with a guy who was in a work release program and was a registered sex offender. So really? (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I told me that story before (laughs) feel all right. Not being part of those particular clubs. Kellen, I love you so much, but I'm really looking for a registered sex offender. Oh dear. Well, that's our episode for you today, <laughs> oh, everybody. Nice big <laughs> pop there at the end. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in again. Um, we'd love to keep making this podcast. Please do give us feedback about parts that you liked, parts that you didn't like, and please always submit questions um, for us to answer. You can find the link in my link tree. I am on Instagram at Hannah Jones Cool, and you can also um, <laughs> see m- me on my website. HannahJonesCool.com. She's laughing because I took a selfie for my friend. And uh, this is Kellen Duffy. Hi. And we'll be back in the future as soon as you give us enough attention to warrant it. You You can't can't stop stop me. I'm following my dreams. You can't stop me. I'm following my dreams. No, you can't stop me because I'm following my dreams.